a reading from the book of Isaiah. Rise up in splendid Jerusalem, your light has come. The glory of the Lord shines upon you. See, darkness covers the earth and thick clouds cover the peoples. But upon you the Lord shines and over you appears his glory. Nations shall walk by your light and kings by your shining radiance. Raise your eyes and look about. They all gather and come to you. Your sons come from afar and your daughters in the arms of their nurses. Then you shall be radiant at what you see. Your heart shall throb and overflow for the riches of the sea shall be emptied out before you. The wealth of nations shall be brought to you. Caravans of camels shall fill you, dromedaries from Medea and Ephah, all from Sheba shall come, bearing gold and frankincense, and proclaiming the praises of the Lord. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Every nation on earth will adore you. Lord, every nation on earth will adore you. O God, with your judgment endow the king, and with your justice the king's son. He shall govern your people with justice and your afflicted ones with judgment. Lord, every nation on earth will adore you. Justice shall flower in his days and profound peace till the moon be no more. May he rule from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. Lord, every nation on earth will adore you. The kings of Tarshish and the Isles shall offer gifts. The kings of Arabia and Seba shall bring tribute. All kings shall pay him homage. All nations shall serve him. Lord, every nation on earth will adore you. For he shall rescue the poor when he cries out and the afflicted when he has no one to help him. He shall have pity for the lowly and the poor. The lives of the poor he shall save. Lord, every nation on earth will adore you. reading from the letter of St. Paul to the Ephesians. Brothers and sisters, you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for your benefit, namely, that the mystery was made known to me by revelation. It was not made known to people in other generations as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit, that the Gentiles are co-heirs 
members of the same body, and co-partners in the promised in Christ Jesus through the gospel. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. reading from the Holy Gospel according to Matthew. Glory Glory to you, O Lord. When Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of King Herod, behold, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is the newborn King of the Jews? We saw his star at its rising and have come to do him homage. When King Herod heard this, he was greatly troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. Assembling all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it has been written through the prophet, And you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, since from you shall come a ruler who is to shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and ascertained from them the time of the star's appearance. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search diligently for the child. When you have found him, bring me word that I too may go and do him homage. After their audience with the king, they set out. And behold, the star that they had seen at its rising preceded them until it came and stopped over the place where the child was. They were overjoyed at seeing the star, and on entering the house they saw the child with Mary, his mother. They prostrated themselves and did him homage, and they opened their treasures and offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed for their country by another way. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise you, Lord Jesus. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. This afternoon and this weekend, the church invites us to spend a few moments meditating and contemplating uh, three strangers. 
the Magi. Many things we could say about the Magi. And many of them serve as a kind of distant mirror that is separated by millennia, separated by language, religion, culture. Yet if we look at them and hold them up, they have much to say to us today in the 21st century. They are three men, and they're actually representing the three known continents at the time, Asia, Africa, and Europe. All three are from those diverse continents. At the same time, they're also men of profound learning. They're scientists. They're men of reason, study. They're seekers of truth. They're astrologers. They uh, study the stars. You know these things? They study them. Notice, please, what I did not say. They do not worship them. They study them. Because they see the star as a sign. It's a signpost. It's not a resting post. It's not something we stop and give to nature what nature does not have, divinity. Nature is the result of the divine God who spoke all things into existence. Therefore, we look to nature, and the deeper we look into nature, the closer and closer we come to understand the wisdom, the beauty, and the love of Almighty God. And as men of science, as men of reason, they are also at the same time aware that their science and their reason is limited and deficient. They realize there's more than can fit in to the knowledge they gain by studying the stars. They're looking for something deeper. And it's very important for us in the 21st century because over the last 300, 350 years, beginning full blast with the Enlightenment in the 17th century, there is, the, there is this false separation, this false divide between people of faith and people of science. Choose one or the other. Between religion and science, faith and reason, between the altar and the research laboratory. And you have to choose one or the other. This would have been incredibly mystifying to those who developed the principles and the method of modern science. Almost all of them were believing Catholics, Christians, and science itself is rooted in the scriptures. 
that there is an orderly, wise, predictable world that is governed by natural laws that was put in there by a supreme being who orders all things to their natural end and purpose. Therefore, the more we understand science and use science as a tool, a tool, the deeper the mysteries of Almighty God are revealed to us. The Christian is never anti-science. The Christian is not anti-technological. What we are cautious about is what has developed in the modern period called scientism. That is, it's a kind of intellectual imperialism. And what I mean by that is, science for many people today, especially in a secular world such as ours, has come to mean that science is the only valid method for arriving at truth. And anything that cannot fit into the method of science is invalid. It's subjective. It's your own personal opinion. It doesn't really reflect an objective reality that's there. Therefore, anything having to do with religion and faith and God is immediately dismissed because it cannot be fit into the method of science. Why? Because God, let's start there, is not an object of analysis. God is not like this microphone that sounds like the uh, charge of the light brigade, but nonetheless. It's not like this podium. It's not like the chair you're sitting on, the purse that's there, etc. It's not an object. God is the supreme being, the ground of all things. God is not an object. God is the supreme reality, which transcends being put into a scientific methodological box. Now, for some they say, well, it's all abstract, or this and that. Okay. Tell me, think of your best friend, your spouse. Hopefully they're one and the same. Uh, one never knows. But, um, so think of your best friend. And if I give you a sheet of paper and say, Write me why you love your friend. I probably won't have enough paper to do it. Because there's always more. And that would seem like a silly exercise because there's certain things you can't express in language. That's why we turn to art and poetry. To express the inexpressible. Because of the limitations. Scientism is a kind of imperialism which says, if you don't fit here, you don't count. These three men are searchers. They're adventurers traveling in pursuit of truth. And not only have they studied the stars, they're also versed in the scriptures. They're versed in the scriptures. 
For them, the notion that I study either the stars or I study the scriptures would make no sense. And so they are looking for something deeper. And they see in the heavens above that star, that sign spoken by Isaiah. And it tells them it resides in Bethlehem. And so they go. One of the great flaws of all intellectuals, and I have nothing against intellectuals, because we need more people who are dedicated to the life of the mind and the pursuit of truth and reason and not fanaticism or simply a kind of emotivism. I do it because it feels good. I operate as if the instinct is sounder than the mind. We see it all over the place. But the great deficiency often of intellectuals is that they're enormously naive when it comes to power. Enormously naive when it comes to power. Because intellectuals often believe all they have to do is discover the truth, know the truth, go tell those in power what they can do and how they can do it and how they can make things better. And that will settle the case. So what do they do? They go to Herod, tyrant, an autocrat. At the news, he becomes greatly afraid. Those who are in power are often very afraid. That's why those in power are so weak. Because they're so afraid of anything that might appear to sap their power. He's afraid. And it's very dangerous to have a person who has some power and is afraid. And so he says, oh, tell me where it is because I too want to worship. No, he doesn't. He wants to destroy, as we will see with the holy innocents. And so they tell him, so on. Because they believe that all you have to do is tell the truth. Why? Because we are attracted to the truth. We are made for the truth. Few of us like to be lied to, especially with a friend, spouse, a loved one. It's a betrayal because we're made for truth. And all truth leads to Almighty God. And you see this search for truth. If you go to New Orleans, you go around the cathedral any day of the week, just about any time, you will see people outside the cathedral. They have little tables, little stands, so on and so forth. And they are fortune tellers, tea, tea leaf readers, read your palm, they'll give you a zodiac, they'll do all of these kinds of things. 
Look in the newspaper. Most newspapers still carry the zodiac, your horoscope, what month are you, what's your sign, so on and so forth. And you know, it, it, it's easy to become smug and kind of uh, pseudo-sophisticated and superior. Oh, I'm above all that stuff. Ah, I would never do that. I might do it just for a joke or something. But we ought to ask ourselves, what is the deeper motivation behind that? People are telling us that simple explanation on the basis of rationality is not enough for us. We want something more. We believe that there's more than meets the eye. There's more than fills just the brain. As Pascal said, the heart has its reasons the mind knows not. And so they are searching for that more, perhaps in the wrong places, the wrong methods, but we want the truth. And these three travelers followed the star that comes to rest on the one who is truth itself in the form of a child. It's a loving truth. It's not a threatening truth. It's not a demanding, coercive truth. It's an inviting truth. It's a persuasive truth that in your freedom you can accept or reject. Here in the crib lies your Lord and Savior and you are free to accept or reject that. That's God's great risk of giving us freedom. You can tell God no. You can tell God no. Um, so the question, by way of bringing this to an end, is what does this say about us? You know, it's interesting if you look at stars, things. many of the millions of stars that we look at up above, they no longer objectively exist. They're not objectively there. You're looking at a ghost. You're looking at the past. Wow, how is that? Well, remember, light carries information. And light travels at 186,000 miles per second. Many of these stars are millions and hundreds of millions of miles away. The light is just reaching the Earth. They no longer objectively exist to give it off. We always see things in the past. And yet, that light, that star, is just hitting our eyeball. But objectively, it doesn't exist. You see, although the star is gone, the light lingers on. And so it is with Christ. And so it is with us. 
for we too in our vocation as Christians. We too look to the light, not of a star or a celestial body, but the light that lies in a crib, in a manger in Bethlehem. And although Christ is gone physically, he abides, for he doesn't leave us often. The light still shines in the darkness and is not overcome. And it falls to us to be that star in that part of the light in the world that we touch. And for many people, they feel inadequate. I can't do that. I'm not do that. Every star carries a whole bunch of scars. You really don't have an effervescent, good star without a lot of scars. That's why you should never follow a preacher who doesn't limp, because they don't know too much about life. Stars and scars go together as the wood of the cross becomes, is taken from the crib in Bethlehem. And so we, in that part of the world that we touch, we are to be Christians, Christ bearers. The star is gone, but the light lingers on. The sun has returned to the Father, but the light is to remain, shining in the darkness of everyday world. And we are to be its bearer. We are to be its bearer. So, simply end with this. So many people believe that in this increasingly secular world, in this world that increasingly believes it can live without God, all we need to do is have more, a more sophisticated or more informed arguments that's what we need. We need more arguments. No, we don't. Very few people are won over to Christ by an argument. What moves them are saints. That's you. St. Francis de Sales said, the saint is one who does the ordinary things extraordinarily well in your everyday lives, in your vocation, in your relationships. You are called to be the light that lingers on after the star is gone. And it is your life, your daily witness, and whatever that is, whether you're a student, whether you're retired, whether you're infirmed, whether you work in a corporation or whether you work in sanitation, whether you're in a grocery store, a gasoline station, it doesn't matter. You are to bring that epiphany, that recognition, that revelation that Jesus Christ 
is Lord. Jesus Christ is truth. The star is gone, but the light lingers on. And it is up to us in our daily lives to be that light. May it be said of us that we did nothing less. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen.